Good morning, this is David Bennett, and this is Bitcoin And, a podcast where I try to find the edge effect between the worlds of Bitcoin, gaming, permaculture, podcasting, and education to gain a better understanding of all. Edge effect is a concept from ecology describing a greater diversity of life where the edges of two systems overlap. While species from either system can be found at the edge, it is important to note there are species in the overlap that exist in neither system, and that is what I seek to uncover. So join me in discovering the variety of things being created as Bitcoin rubs up against other systems. It is 6.02 a.m. Central Standard Time. It is the 22nd of January, 2021. This is episode 351 of Bitcoin, and we got a lot of shit to get through today. So let's just start off with, we're going to close the FUD on two different counts. BTC Times, Thomas M. is writing this. um, Dozens of sites host Bitcoin white paper following Craig Wright legal threats. (laughs) (laughs) The irony. The Bitcoin white paper can now be uh, read and downloaded at various new destinations as dozens of companies and individuals have made the document available on their websites within the last 24 hours. In what resembles an act of defiance, Bitcoiners responded to a statement issued by Bitcoin.org on Wednesday that revealed both Bitcoin.org and BitcoinCore.org had received allegations of copyright infringement by hosting the white paper on their sites. The letter comes from none other than Craig Wright, whose lawyers are quoted stating in a letter that Wright owns the copyright to the paper, the Bitcoin name, the ownership of (laughs) Bitcoin.org. Good God. In addition, the owners of both sites were asked to take down the white paper in order to avoid further legal action. Wright has initiated multiple lawsuits over the years to, quote, prove he is the pseudonymous Bitcoin creator Satoshi Nakamoto. As part of his pursuit, Wright has made numerous claims, such as the statements that he owned but couldn't access the private keys to Bitcoin addresses associated with Satoshi Nakamoto, and that he wrote the Bitcoin white paper, but also that Satoshi plagiarized him when writing the white paper. Following Wright's threats, the white paper was removed from BitcoinCore.org as its operators voiced concerns that the document's licensing status is, quote, unclear. The white paper can still be accessed on Bitcoin.org. Good for you, Cobra. I've run in, had run-ins with Cobra on several, you know, on, on a few occasions. Uh, I've said some pretty, pretty shitty shit to him, uh, and he's got me blocked. But I applaud the balls on, the, on him for just say, telling Craig to just shove it right up his butt. Um, let's see here. Where do do do? Oh yeah. Uh, user Secure pointed out in a response on GitHub that the white paper is indeed licensed under the MIT license, a permissive free software license that would invalidate Wright's copyright claim. The initial reactions to BitcoinCores.org removal of the file were mixed. While some criticized the site for complying with baseless demands, others came to the site's owners' support. In a Reddit thread, Bitcoin Core developer Greg Maxwell noted that the white paper is not currently needed on BitcoinCore.org, seeing it as it is already available in numerous other places. Maxwell further stressed that Wright's attempt to make a claim on the white paper will have little impact overall. Quote, Wright might be able to abuse the legal system to take a copy down or even to take down BitcoinCore.org entirely, maybe even Bitcoin.org entirely. And what effect would that have on Bitcoin? None. No effect at all. 
What effect would it have on the availability of the white paper? If anything, it would make it even more available. But even if he managed to get the white paper taken off every site, a total impossibility, what would that do to Bitcoin? Still nothing. End quote. And indeed, a day later, the white paper may no longer be available on BitcoinCore.org, but it can now be accessed on countless other sites as Bitcoin companies and Bitcoin users banded together to stand up against the threats. MicroStrategy CEO Michael Saylor announced that the white paper would from now on be hosted on the firm's website, as well as Saylor's domain hope.com. Square Crypto has uploaded the white paper to its site. Anthony Scaramucci shared that his firm Skybridge Capital has posted the paper on its site. Fidelity Digital Assets announced that it too had uploaded the white paper. Bitcoin infrastructure company Blockstream shared a link to the white paper hosted on its own website. Former Monero lead maintainer Ricardo Spagni now hosts the white paper on CraigWrightIsNotSatoshi.com, and countless others have joined in support uh, into joined in to support the accused domain operators and set a sign against Wright's claims. Whether Wright will follow through with his threats is yet to be seen. Either way, the cascading response of white paper uploads might just be making the best of a bad situation. Not only does it make <clears throat> any additional attempts by Wright to claim the white paper more time-consuming and costly, but it also simply makes Satoshi Nakamoto's work more accessible to anyone who may want to read it. Yeah, that backfired there, Craig. Uh, sorry for you. However, this one uh, is, I, I'm going to read you the, a couple of responses or, or a couple of responses that I got from Gregory Maxwell himself. He only lives on Reddit, which I don't understand. I don't really use Reddit. I mean, I'm mooner of Bitcoin over there on, on there, but I, I just now started kind of posting again and using it. Um, and I anyway, I, I asked Greg after he makes this... Greg posted a fairly, you know, he's he's really verbose when he does this stuff. Uh, but he posted like a, I don't know, an eight paragraph response to what was going on. And after reading it, I just asked him a simple question. I said, what happens when FinCEN sends a letter? So he writes back, he says, the postman delivers it, <clears throat> unless they forgot the postage, I assume. Do you have an actual question? Greg's like this. So you got to kind of get back at him using his same language. I And so I said, I figured that was implied by the actual question mark at the end of the sentence there, chief. He writes back and says, well, then you got your answer. The postman delivers it unless they forgot the postage. So at this point, I got to needle him because I'm like kind of tired of the bullshit. I say, are y'all going to fold like a cheap suit afterwards? That's an actual question if you were wondering again. And finally, Greg actually, you know, bellies up to the bar and says, okay, I'll stop messing around with you. <clears throat> if FinCEND sends a letter that s says, say, some non-critical image on the webpage is a copyright violation, I expect the image would be taken down without giving it much thought, especially if it looked complicated to defend. No use wasting time on an unimportant fight that is outside of the purpose of the website, and in general, the maintainers of the site would remove anything with even slightly questionable copyright status, even if no one was complaining. He continues, 
If FinCEN instead sent a letter demanding, say, asset confiscation be added to the software, I expect the developers would draft a letter explaining that it would be pointless and effectively impossible for them to do so, and then tell them exactly how far up their ass they can shove their demand. This draft would then be passed on to a group of $1,000 an hour attorneys that would laboriously translate it into legalese that, for example, pointed out any such demand is unlawful on its face because it would constitute compelled speech. These two categories of response are not unrelated in the sense that the resources not wasted on symbolic fights in the first case are available for deployment in the second case. As an aside, I haven't been a Bitcoin developer for a number of years, so it wouldn't be me. But from experience, this is how I would expect it to go. And I say, thank you, sir. I knew that was in your head and my apologies for being toxic, but honestly, there was just no other way. So thanks, Gregory Maxwell, for the tussle. That was fun. That was an, that was actually an enjoyable exchange that I had with him. Um, and speaking of copyright, <clears throat> um, as you know, if you know what uh, my avatar is, I mean, that it could be stated that I'm using Kenny from, from South Park and that it could be considered fair use because of what I'm using it for, but I just assume that it's a copyright violation. You know, and if the creators of South Park, like, send me cease and desist, I'm going to take it down. Hell, it's their art. I'm clearly using Kenny. It's not, you know, it, it's, that's obvious, okay? And I really wouldn't have that much of a problem with it because it is somebody else's art, and I've been thinking about changing it for a while, too, and go into a rebranding, but that's always dangerous. And, but I was, I, I needed to test that and I got my chance to test, uh, to test whether or not it was a copyright violation. Um, it seems that among all the hosting, the people hosting the white paper, what was interesting to see was a screenshot from Donner Labs. That's at Donner Lab. I think it's at Donner Lab one or at Donner Labs and the number one. <clears throat> they posted a screenshot uh, inside Bitcoin Bounty Hunt. And one of the advertisements that was on, you know, a wall was a, was a, uh, a cop. Well, what a copy of the white paper. It was a picture, um, you know, probably like a PNG file of the first page of the Satoshi white paper. So now the white paper is actually hosted inside a freaking video game. And uh, when I went to go look, I was poking around and I'd been meaning to do this for a while, but got to their sponsors page. And I'm like, you know what? I, I just kind of want to see what what they'll say. So I sent them a picture of, you know, my avatar and had Bitcoin and podcast on the side of it and paid them. I think it was like 69 cents when I was all, when it was all said and done and um, uh, done over the, the lightning network. And I used uh, my LN strike app to do it. 11 minutes later, Donner Lab sent me a picture of my avatar as an advertisement on inside the game it was it was pretty cool man <laughs> and i mean inside 11 minutes i was able to buy an advertisement in a video game that other people are going to see for 69 cents and it was already posted inside of 15 minutes man if that ain't the future i don't know what is but here's your here's your future janet yellen says to consider the benefits of cryptocurrencies this is nick chong for btc times writing sometime this morning in a written response to the Senate Finance Committee on Thursday, Janet Yellen elaborated on her view of Bitcoin and other cryptocurrencies to which she attributed the potential to, quote, improve the efficiency of the financial system, end quote. 
in our case, we just wanted eviscerated, but okay, this works. Former Federal Reserve Chair Yellen, Yellen the felon, has been nominated by President-elect Biden to lead the Treasury, though has yet to be confirmed to this position. The written comments come a couple of days after a Senate confirmation hearing in which Yellen said she sees Bitcoin and other cryptocurrencies as a concern due to potential terrorist finance, uh, financing and money laundering. Quote, I think many are used, at least in transactions, transactional sense, mainly for illicit financing, and I think we really need to examine ways in which we can curtail their use and make sure that any money laundering doesn't occur through those channels. Okay. Oh, wow, that's, that's, a, that's a typo. To make sure that anti-money laundering doesn't occur through those channels. Well, don't you want us to anti, like AML everything? Why wouldn't you? Oh, whatever, Janet. <clears throat> Yellen is not known to be a fan of Bitcoin. In 2018, when asked about it, she established her stance that Bitcoin is not used as a means of payments or as a store of value due to its volatility. Quote, it has, been, it has long been thought that for something to be useful as currency, it needs to be a stable store, uh, source of value, and Bitcoin is anything but. It's not used for a lot of transactions, it's not a stable source of value, and it's not an efficient means of processing payments. It's very slow in handling payments. Really? I bought my, adver my ad inside of, like, it was confirmed by those guys inside of, a, you know, a minute. That was pretty fast. I don't know, whatever. It's very slow in handling payments. It has difficulty because of its very decentralized nature. You don't understand this. In her latest statement, Yellen adopts a more nuanced tone, though she still stresses that cryptocurrencies, quote, can be used to finance terrorism, facilitate money laundering, and support malign activities that threaten U.S. national security interests and the integrity of the United States and international financial systems, end quote. In the, mean, in the written response, she calls for an approach that encourages the legitimate use while cracking down on malign and illegal activities. Gee, <clears throat> Yellen, that's why you got the FBI. That's why you got the, the uh, secret police over there at the Treasury Department. Uh, that's why those people exist. It's called police work. You investigate what you think may be a crime, and then you figure out what you're going to do. You gather evidence, and then you make a case, and you take the fucker to court. How is it that we are just now all automatically criminals? I don't know. But Yellen further states that she intends to work closely with the Federal Reserve Board and the other federal banking and security regulators on how to implement an effective regulatory framework for these and other fintech innovations. Good luck. <clears throat> because somebody who really, really likes it, is, it looks like they're set to start using it in, in Miami. The mayor of Miami is building out his cryptocurrency team. Uh, Scott Cipollina is going to tell us about it from Decrypt.co, written this morning. Miami Mayor Francis Suarez said today that he is building out a team to help develop his plans for getting more involved in the cryptocurrency space, with announcements coming out next week. Speaking in an interview with Cryptex Finance, where Decrypt was a fly on the wall, he was asked whether he had considered investing in Ethereum instead of Bitcoin. Oh, God. Given that he could create applications to collect taxes directly on the blockchain platform itself, quote, guys, this is just going on out in the world. Don't don't bitch at me because it ends up being shit coinery, but it is going on. So, uh, quote, we'd love to do that. What we're looking at is two things: one, to accept crypto for payments, and there's a process. And, and there's a process, right? We probably won't hold Bitcoin or any cryptocurrencies. We'll probably have a third party hold it and take the cryptocurrency in the extent that there is some volatility, the mayor said. 
We'd love to explore the platform. I'm building out my team. That's starting on Monday. I'm going to be making some major announcements next week. End quote. Cryptex Finance is the team behind TCAP, a total crypto market cap token, which gives holders real-time price exposure to the total cryptocurrency market cap. <clears throat> I guess that's like the S&P or something. Uh, the purpose behind the call between the mayor and Cryptex Finance team was to discuss the possibility of using Ethereum. God, sorry, guys. To promote the city's cryptocurrency strategy. I'm not going to talk about Ethereum anymore. Let's go. Just come on. Let's see, during his call, the mayor shared some of his recent thoughts on cryptocurrency. He argued that money can be anything that society considers to have value. Quote, anything can be money. Anything can have value. What has a value is what we as a, as a society value, the mayor said. In fact, the mayor believes that the digital revolution of money is already underway. If you really think about it, in many, many ways, we're already in a digital money market, the mayor said. He suggested that Bitcoin could be an alternative that affords citizens a new sense of freedom as opposed to fiat currencies tied to government policy. Quote, money and currency is being used to promote policies. We have a market crash, so we have to influence the behavior of people through the money supply, the mayor said. Suarez had been demonstrating serious interest in Bitcoin in recent weeks, suggesting the cryptocurrency could put, uh, could put some of Miami's treasury reserves in Bitcoin. Ooh, wouldn't that be cool as shit? On December the 29th, 2020, Anthony Pompliano tweeted, <clears throat> uh, quote, retweet this if you would move to Miami if Mayor Francis Suarez put 1% of the city's treasury reserves into Bitcoin. The mayor replied, definitely open to exploring it. Mayor Suarez then discussed the future of cryptocurrency industry with the Winklevi earlier this month. In the interview, he said his mission was to make Miami the most crypto competitive city on the planet. Quote, there's a lot of people who live in Miami who might have family who live elsewhere in other countries, i.e. Cuba. They pay tremendous fees just to move that money, Tyler Winklevoss said, adding cryptocurrencies like sending money the same way you send an email. The mayor wants to encourage more technologically savvy people to go to Miami and get stuck in. In reaction to a Bloomberg article covering the mayor's efforts, he tweeted, <clears throat> We want anyone who shares our vision to come here and build. Uh, but we're adding, but we're not going to be Silicon Beach or the next New York. We are Miami, and we won't forget that. Oh, nice. Nice. That's a good job, bro. Yeah, the whole uh, Ethereum part, I have to apologize. I didn't see that part in there, but... Uh, yeah, honestly, all you really need is Bitcoin. And Andre, Andreas Antonopoulos is, is going to close the other end of the FUD that was occurring over the last couple of days. <clears throat> and this is about that double spin thing uh, that that some people think caused was the, the, the sole cause of the market crash yesterday. Other people think it was a combination of that and <clears throat> uh, the white paper fiasco. But somebody else is saying, no, man, this was just F2 pool miners basically dumping bags and bags and bags and had a couple of charts to prove it. And I can't remember who it was, but it was kind of interesting. So maybe all three played a factor. But let's close this into the bullshit. Crypto Potato uh, Felix Molin is writing this one this morning. Andreas Antonopoulos fights FUD with facts. Bitcoin is safe and worked as expected. Yeah, that's exactly what it was designed for. On January the 21st, 2021, a random dude sent $21 to another random dude. And this is news because the transaction triggered a series of unfortunate events that ended up wiping $84 billion from Bitcoin's total market cap, driving the community into a panic and causing a drop of more 11% in the, in the price of the latest are the largest cryptocurrency in the crypto ecosystem. When block 666833 was registered, two conflicting transactions 
which could arguably be called a double spending attempt, occurred. As typically happens in the blockchain, the bad block was discarded and the good block spread throughout the network. Bitcoin worked as it was supposed to and the network proved its reliability. The bad block was orphaned with one confirmation and the good block already has over 100 confirmations. Good luck rolling that son of a bitch back. Um, Maybe it wasn't the transaction or hold on. Sorry, but that wasn't enough for the mainstream media and even some cryptocurrency focused additions. Maybe it wasn't the transaction itself, but the coverage received, not for nothing, the press and social networks have earned the nickname of the fifth power or fifth estate. You can also term it as the fifth pillar uh, by great personalities such as Spanish academic and journalist uh, Ignacio Romane, a a typical, hold on, an atypical but completely normal event was exacerbated to the extreme perhaps irresponsibly provoking panic from a multitude of new investors who rushed to sell their tokens, triggering a snowball effect led by FUD and the need for a technical correction. It is much easier to spread panic with misinformation than it is to fight nervousness, and and Andreas Antonopoulos can attest to this. He spent the entire day debunking the rumor, devoting a lengthy thread of more than about 25 tweets and a big part of a live stream to explain the difference between malicious double spending and a natural reorganization of the blockchain. As a general rule, Andreas explained that a one-block reorg happens naturally on average once every two weeks. A two-block reorg occurs once every year or so, and a three-block reorg has never happened until now. This is why the three-confirmation rule has been adopted in the community as absolutely legitimate proof of a BTC's trans, BTC transactions immutability. I say six, but that's just, I think that's just kind of tradition. During his live stream, Cryptocurrency explained, understanding the double spend, block reorganization, and consensus Bitcoin. Andreas Antonopoulos criticized the way the reorg was covered by the media. Quote, some irresponsible, poorly sourced research journalism happened at one of the very volatile moments in a bull market where there's a lot of new people who do not yet understand the technical fundamentals of Bitcoin and as a result got scared. Dude, you're scaring Raul Paul. Other experts also share Andreas's opinion. Coinmetrics uh, Lucas Nuzzi also claimed that it was probably all due to a user who wanted to send that $21 faster, increasing his fee. But a Twitter account uh, doesn't have the same reach as a newspaper. And now that an increasing number of new retailers are getting their hands on more Bitcoin, the fight against misconceptions is critical to the ecosystem. Yep. Yep. So like I was saying yesterday, this shit happens all the time. This is not the first time this has ever happened. This has happened multiple times. This is exactly what, what the system is designed to be able to do. So I don't know, man. Everybody's and everybody's still freaking out. We're still on a depressed, uh, depressed price run right now, but we'll get to that when we run numbers. Van Eck files for ETF that gives investors exposure to crypto companies. Uh, Tim Copeland's going to do this one for Decrypt.co. <clears throat> asset manager Van Eck has filed a digital asset ETF with the SEC, paving the way for institutional investors to be able to get exposure to shares in companies that gain most 
of their value from cryptocurrencies. This ETF will track the performance of the MVIS, Global Digital Asset Equity Index, which tracks the performance of the digital asset industry. This includes companies that operate crypto exchanges, payment gateways, mining operations, and those that hold significant amounts of cryptocurrency on their balance sheet, such as MicroStrategy, to be eligible. Companies must generate more than 50% of their revenue from cryptocurrency projects or ones that, when developed, have the potential to do so. Several companies in the crypto space are looking at going public, including Coinbase and Backed. It's possible that the fund could include these shares in the future. Just last month, Van Eck refiled for the Bitcoin ETF with the SEC, although it has come under fire from its former partner Solidex, which is accusing it of plagiarism. According to the complaint, Solidex and Van Eck worked together to market shares of the trust to qualified institutional buyers as a precursor to the SEC approval of trust shares that could be publicly traded in an exchange-traded fund. Quote, Mere weeks after its bad-faith termination of the agreements, Van Eck began announcing products that directly compete, products it could not have begun to issue without working against Solidex's interest, while still its business partner, the complaint says. SolidX has been working to bring a Bitcoin, Bitcoin ETF to market since 2015, while VanEck was the first company to file for a Bitcoin ETF registered under the Investment Company Act in 2017. I don't know, man. The SolidX allegation sounds, sounds kind of severe, man. We'll have to see how that one goes. That's the, actually the first I'd even heard about that. But here we are already. <clears throat> we got to run the numbers. cnbc.com forward slash futures and commodities. <clears throat> everything is red. I mean everything. It's blood in the streets on the markets as far as we're going to be concerned today. Oil, West Texas Intermediate is down 2.39%. <clears throat> Brent North Sea is down 2.32%. Natural gas is down 2%. Wow. Metals are all down. <clears throat> Gold is down almost a full point. $1,848 will buy you uh, an ounce of that. Silver getting pummeled to the tune of almost 2%. Platinum is down over 2%. Copper is down over 2%. And palladium is down a half a point. Uh, indices are also all down, although not quite as bad. Dow futures is down 0.79. S&P futures is down 0.7. NASDAQ futures down 0.54. And S&P mini uh, coming in at the worst performance at 0.83 down uh, uh, points down to the to the downside. Yeah, it's looking pretty bad everywhere, man. Um, yeah, God dang, dude. All like. Every agricultural commodity is down too. Wheat, soybean, corn, sugar, coffee, cotton, rice, cocoa. It's dude, it's just it's bad out there. I don't know what the did Biden open his mouth or something? I don't know. I haven't seen seen actual news in a while. But real money says that we have a price on Bitcoin at thirty one thousand five hundred and ninety eight dollars. Looks like that's gonna be the looks like that's gonna be our low. And our high is gonna be over at GDAX, thirty one thousand eight hundred and fifteen. We have 331,000 transactions being performed in the last 24 hours. That's 13,700 transactions per hour on average. We've had 656,000 BTC sent in that last 24-hour period, and people are sending 27,345 BTC every hour on the hour on average. 
Average transaction value is 2 BTC and the median transaction value is 0.031 BTC, about 980 bucks. Uh, block times are back to the low side, 9 minutes and 36 seconds. We have 0.85 BTC being taken in fees on a per block basis and 125.5 BTC in fees overall in the last 24 hours. We've had a drop in hash rate of 1.08% in the last 24 hours, but we're up higher than we were yesterday. We're at 138.7 exahashes per second. What did Doge do? Uh, every Well, everything got pummeled. Uh, Ethereum is all the way down to 1,197. None of these things do, you know, do anything without Bitcoin's permission. And I, I don't know why anybody thinks that any one of these pieces of garbage is going to decouple itself from Bitcoin. It just seems like a fool's game. But yeah, that's that's what's going on over there. Uh, 29,000 transactions for Doge only puts it on top of Ethereum Classic. Um, we have 47,500 transactions waiting to clear. It will take 92 blocks to do so. Uh, we have 4.91% of gold's market cap, and the market capitalization in dollar terms is $589 billion for Bitcoin. We have 18,607,225.4 BTC out in the wild, and uh, with a price, according to Clark Moody, of 31670 There are 1,034.5 BTC in the Lightning Network. That's $32.8 million of capacity along 8,397 nodes with 36,573 channels. Tor capacity has fallen again a little bit. 51.9% of the Lightning Network is run over Tor, uh, which has 537.18 BTC in capacity and a number or a node count of 3,000 and 73. That's going to do it for Vitals. Welcome to part two of the morning roundup. <clears throat> Signature Bank crosses $10 billion in deposits from crypto customers. Well, okay. Uh, Coindesk. <clears throat> Who is it? It is Nathan DiCamillo is writing this one yesterday. Deposits from digital currency customers now make up nearly 16% of total deposits at New York's Signature Bank. In an earnings call Thursday, Signature revealed that deposits from customers in the crypto industry now total $10 billion. That's billion with a B. And that is twice that of California rival Silvergate Bank, which has been in the business for a while. Quote, we've clearly become the preeminent player in that space, said Eric Howell, the company's executive vice president of corporate and business development, it's obvious that digital assets and cryptocurrencies are not going away. Signature Bank CEO Joseph DiPaolo added that the bank's uh, blockchain-based payment platform, Signet, is the main driver of deposit growth in digital asset banking, and that institutional adoption is causing the vertical to grow by leaps and bounds. Prominent customers include Voyager Digital Holdings, Polychain Capital, and Bitflyer USA. Signature Bank's the top five crypto exchanges, DePaulo said, and is now offering retail banking services through them. Silvergate is known to serve Coinbase, Kraken, and Bitstamp. Exchanges often have more than one banking partner in order to more quickly onboard new customers. Signature added $2.5 billion in non-interest-bearing deposits in the fourth quarter of 2020, which fell half a billion shy of Silvergate's $2.9 billion in new deposits from digital currency customers in the fourth quarter. 
Crypto firms are often a rich source of low-cost deposits for the banks that openly serve the sector. As such, analysts have paid close attention to non-interest-bearing deposit growth at Signature, especially since the bank doesn't break out deposits from crypto uh, customers in its financial statement. Signature sees itself as a bank for high net worth individuals and institutions. Its crypto banking business has a low profile. These deposits are not equal to the deposits from crypto firms at the bank, since Signature has many other lines of business. In total, non-interest bearing accounts deposits represent nearly 30% of total deposits at the bank, and total deposits increased at the bank quarter over quarter by $8.98 billion with money market deposits representing the lion's share. Signature's average cost of deposits and average cost of funds for the fourth quarter of 2020 decreased by 66 and 69 basis points to point or, or to 0.42% and 0. Point or yeah, 0.57% respectively. All right. Well, so yeah, another bank. Uh, I, I'm actually really surprised that they've kind of eclipsed Silvergate because I didn't really hear about Signature Bank you know, until just recently, and they looks like they've surpassed Silvergate. So the game is on there. <clears throat> and Barry is still swooping in to buy up as much Bitcoin as humanly possible. Grayscale pulls in $1 billion in Bitcoin in one week. Digital Assets Manager Grayscale Investments. Bitcoin Trust has raised $1.2 billion in the past week. That's just a week. Andrew Asmakov is going to tell us about it from Decrypt.co. <clears throat> um, Grayscale's Bitcoin Trust has seen a $1.2 billion influx of fresh funds from investors since January 15, according to the latest filing with the SEC. Michael Sonnenschein, who was appointed, appointed the company's new CEO earlier this month, tweeted the exact amount totaled one was it one billion two hundred seventy-six million one hundred forty-seven. A thousand and one hundred and fifty-one dollars. Holy crap, man! That's a lot of money. This is a record number for GBTC, which saw an average of two hundred seventeen million dollars raised on a weekly basis in the fourth quarter of twenty twenty. Um, on January the fifteenth, Grayscale announced it had a record of twenty-seven point one billion dollars in assets under management. Once again, signaling growth, growing demand from institutional investors such as hedge funds, endowments, and pension funds. Institutional demand has often been cited as a key reason for Bitcoin price soaring over $40,000 this month. Similarly, the number of Bitcoin whales has been steadily increasing, even though prices have since dipped. In its latest report, Grayscale says institutions have historically accounted for a majority of the firm's inflows, and this was especially true last quarter. Institutions accounted for 93% of all institutional or of all capital inflows. As of January 20th, 2021, there are 675,942,800 GBTC shares issued and outstanding, the filing notes. The Grayscale Bitcoin Fund, the company's most popular product, temporarily stopped onboarding new investors before the new year, reopening the doors last week, and clearly the institutions were waiting. But wait, that's not what, that's not what these guys are saying. Uh, crypto briefing is saying, and, and Ali Martinez uh, specifically is saying that many institutions are waiting for a $2 trillion market cap before entering the crypto market. Okay, we're getting mixed messages. I love how narratives do this. eToro maintains that the crypto market cap must double before institutional capital will join in mass. You see why I'm confused? I'm, I am. I'm, I'm totally confused.
This is a complete opposite take. But a new study reveals three key factors are keeping institutional enterprises from investing in the cryptocurrency market. eToro publishes a new research report evaluating what is needed before institutional investors can join the cryptocurrency industry. One of the main barriers highlighted in the study is the lack of sufficient market capitalization. Although the crypto market recently made, made headlines after surpassing $1 trillion for the first time in its short tenure, this number must double to attract more high net worth individuals. I, I, I don't see that happening. I, I see them already here, but whatever. The current regulatory framework also poses a threat to broader adoption. It affects the market growth towards enterprise-grade infrastructure and standards, giving the limited access to credit lines for those who want to contribute to the blockchain ecosystem. Tomer Niv, head of business development at eToro X, believes that a new wave of institutional capital would flood the space once it achieves greater regulatory clarity. Following this arrival, infantile infrastructure would find the necessary funding to continue growing. Quote, more needs to be done from a market infrastructure point of view to make this group of investors feel comfortable joining the crypto ecosystem. Only by widening the playing field and facilitating more participation will crypto reach and maintain a market cap of $2 trillion and beyond. The report also noted that institutional players feel burdened by the complexity and risks of storing private keys. Instead, they prefer reputable funds and crypto ETFs to handle these security issues, making their entry smoother. Uh, though Grayscale's Bitcoin purchases in the past few weeks show a spike in interest by institutional investors, demand will be heightened by enterprise-grade infrastructure solutions like FIX APIs and cold storage, according to NIV. A significant price retracement from the current levels that pushes BTC below 25000 could also help attract the attention of major top-tier banks and individual investors. With Bitcoin entering a new corrective phase and the Wyoming State Banking Board giving Avanti the green light to launch America's second cryptocurrency bank, it might be just a matter of time before the cryptocurrency market presents the right conditions for institutional investors to jump in. But dude, they already are. They already are. I, 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 again, I don't know, man. This just seems like mixed messaging to me. But if you're a bag holder of XRP, you've got more shit to worry about. eToro halts XRP trading for U.S. citizens following the SEC charges. So one more. Bye. Uh, crypto Potato author Jordan Leonchev is writing this one sometime yesterday. The U.S. Securities and Exchange Commission charges on Ripple have pushed another platform namely eToro, to suspend trading for the company's native currency. The Israeli exchange will prohibit the purchase and trading of XRP for U.S. citizens starting on January the 24th. <clears throat> Founded in 2006 in Israel, eToro is a popular social trading and multi-asset brokerage company that also supports various cryptocurrency pairs. However, the company has decided to remove Ripple's or Cripple's native cryptocurrency XRP from its services to customers based in the United States. eToro announced the decision in an email shared with Crypto Potato. It reads that the U.S. branch has decided to prohibit purchases of XRP on the eToro platform and to prohibit any conversion of XRP held in a customer's eToro wallet, end quote. The process has already begun. As of January 3rd, 2021, U.S.-based customers will have until January 24th at 12 p.m. Eastern Standard Time to close their open positions, otherwise risk getting liquidated. Nevertheless, eToro reassures the U.S. clients will still be able to hold their XRP tokens in the platform's wallet and transfer them to any other address. Just sell them, dude. <clears throat> 
It's also worth noting that users based outside of the United States will not be affected and they could continue trading XRP because apparently United States citizens are just toxic financial goo. I don't know. Thus, eToro has joined the ever-growing list of cryptocurrency trading platforms to suspend XRP trading. Other popular names included Binance US, Coinbase, Kraken, and more. The Israeli company justified the decision with the controversy around the payment processor after the SEC charged Ripple with conducting a $1.3 billion unregistered security offering. The digital asset felt the adverse effects of the SEC's decisions almost immediately after the charges became official. The price tumbled about 70% in the following days and couldn't bounce off as various crypto exchanges were rushing into delisting the token. Ripple managed to regain some traction after the start of the new year and jumped above 35 cents on a few occasions. However, the recent market crash and the news of more exchanges removing the coin kept pushing it down. As of writing lines, or sorry, as of writing these lines, XRP's price has corrected back to 30 cents after the latest unsuccessful attempt to overcome that level. If you're holding a bag of XRP, get rid of it now. You cannot have any clear signs that your bag is not going anywhere. This, it's toxic waste and it's going to remain toxic waste because it's a company. It has an address and an email account and telephone numbers and real people that are going to get in real trouble. There's no, there's no reason to have a bag of this shit. I'm just saying, man. 12 reasons why Fed's money printing policy will not change under Biden. Why? Well, one of them is that all 12 Fed regional bank presidents and their deputies have been given brand new five-year terms. 12 guys that have been doing this shit to us for the last five years are going to continue doing the exact same thing for the next five years. Oh, sick, man, dude. This is Jeff Benson writing for Decrypt.co. The U.S. Federal Reserve, the nation's central bank, has reappointed all 12 Federal Reserve Bank presidents and their current deputies to fresh five-year terms. According to a press release today, the process was overseen by Federal Reserve Governor Lael Brainerd. Reserve banks don't only carry out the monetary policy of the Fed. Their leaders also feed into those policy decisions. That means that the people behind the monetary policy instituted by the Fed during the Trump administration should carry over into the Biden era. You'd think he would have just got, Biden would have just cleaned house. So it's telling that he didn't touch anything about the Fed. You read whatever you want into that, whether Biden, you know, I could read that Biden and, or the president of the United States clearly just really doesn't have any power. Otherwise, he would have cleaned house or I, or he is completely on board with exactly what Trump was doing, which means he's a fucking hypocrite. Either way, we got five years of money printer go burr. As a result, from 2021 to 2026, the Fed may again resort to printing U.S. dollars in a bid to stimulate the economy during a downturn, though it may face new pressures from Democratic lawmakers, especially on the issue of economic inequality. There's no reason to think it will discontinue its policy of keeping interest rates low as it targets higher inflation targets. Those strategies have been critiqued by Bitcoin enthusiasts, uh, who generally loathe government-induced inflation, though as th- are thus far tolerant of pl- price volatility, as it represents the ability of those in power to devalue the money that people already have in the span of the last two days in March. 
of the, as the stock market slumped in response to looming coronavirus pandemic lockdowns, the Fed printed $1 trillion for short-term loans. Before the year was through, it had printed over $3 trillion total, increasing its balance sheet by 75%. Jeez. The large influx of cash, however, has yet to impact inflation, mainly due to a jump in unemployment rates. When many people have less money to spend on goods and services, prices tend to stay depressed. But under Fed Chair Jerome Powell, the bank last summer announced a plan to actually target higher inflation rates above 2% after inflation has consistently fallen short of that mark. Powell explained the counterintuitive reason for boosting inflation in an August speech. The inflation remains too low, he said. The Fed would have less scope to cut interest rates to boost employment during an economic downturn, further diminishing our capacity to stabilize the economy through cutting interest rates. Uh, Better put a tie on that suit speak, dude. In other words, the Fed would have fewer tools to manage future crises like this one. Mainstream economic thought on inflation holds that uh, Paracelsus' famous adage, quote, the dose makes the poison. Too much inflation is bad, but just enough can be good for the economy overall. That's a point that even Binance seems to agree with. In an article on inflation, it wrote, quote, The effects of inflation are such that we witness prices, witness prices increasing over time, causing the cost of living to rise. It's a phenomenon that we've come to accept. After all, if it's controlled correctly, inflation can be beneficial to the economy. Shut up, dude. Yet many Bitcoin enthusiasts don't trust governments to control it correctly because the power to print money out of catastrophe is way too tempting. Speaking to Decrypt in March, Shapeshift CEO Eric Voorhees said, quote, Fiat has always been infinite. Central banks never stop creating it, and this is why it loses value every year, forever. What changed, what changed now, though, is the rate of creation. They've decided to create as much fiat money as they can fathom, end quote. Quote, Bitcoiners have always known that fiat detached from some kind of peg, like gold, always ends up with the abuse of money printing, INX Managing Director Alan Silbert told Decrypt. Quote, governments just can't help themselves. The latest batch of Federal Reserve Bank presidents and the bulk of the Board of Governors in Washington have another five years to prove them wrong. Guarantee you they will not. Brazil's biggest Bitcoin exchange is expanding to other countries. Jose Antonio Lanz is writing this for Decrypt.co sometime yesterday. In fact, Brazil's most popular crypto exchange is about to expand throughout Latin America. Founded in 2013, Mercado Bitcoin is one of the oldest and best-known uh, cryptocurrency exchanges just i don't know why they keep using this word but anyway a best known cryptocurrency exchange in brazil it boasts more than 2 million customers and has moved over 3.7 billion dollars in volume since its creation these numbers make mercado bitcoin the largest exchange in latin america despite the fact that it operates almost exclusively in brazil uh, but now after a successful investment round that generated more than 37 million dollars from notable venture capitalists such as Parallax Ventures, Evora Fund, HS Investimentos, FIP, Banco Plural, and Gear Ventures, 
the company hopes to get out of its cozy Brazilian environment and explore new horizons, and it is aiming high. According to statements by Rinaldo Rabelo, CEO of Mercado Bitcoin, the exchange hopes to compete with industry heavyweights. Quote, we want to develop the crypto ecosystem in Brazil and create a market as developed as that of the United States. To do this, we want to be uh, one of the five largest digital exchanges in the world. End quote. He added that the exchange is looking quote, at other markets like Chile, Mexico, Argentina, which have a regulatory culture closer to Brazil's. Mercado is a Mercado Bitcoin is a pioneer in the field of Brazilian cryptocurrency trading. Unlike several other regional competitors, it has been able to survive the unfriendly posture of some regulators. Currently, however, the country has a better opinion about crypto than it has had in previous years. For example, the country's central bank is considering issuing a CBDC, and even though there are still some legal voids in Brazil's regulatory framework. The system is now permissive regarding crypto trading. This has served as a springboard for several crypto businesses to operate. Since 2018, several platforms have spread out across the country, some even allowing Brazilians to use credit cards funded directly by the sale of their Bitcoin. Some examples include Zrobank, Bankrip, Alter, and Uzo. While they don't move as much volume as Mercado Bitcoin, they are evidence that Brazil's crypto ecosystem is offering growth opportunities to local entrepreneurs. In a press release today, the company also teased two new products, BitTrust, a custody service aimed at institutional clients, and MuBank, a digital wallet regulated by the Central Bank of Brazil. So, uh, again, I have always been looking at Latin America, the continent of Africa. <clears throat> I've added the Middle East as well as uh, Eastern Europe, uh, Eastern European countries, Baltics, things, you know, things of that nature. Um, China and Russia, I'm not, I'm not too concerned about. Uh, there's just way too much. Uh, there's way too many other people all together in Latin America, the continent of Africa, the Baltics, Eastern Europe, that I don't really give a shit about China. Uh, at one point or another, Australia is going to have to bend the knee. But right now, Australia is not bending the knee. They're just trying to crush their their citizenry i guess anyway that actually ends up being well hold on hold on for a sec sorry i thought i had one more but i don't so that's going to actually do it for the morning roundup daily train wrecked brought to you by udi wertheimer uh who's retweeting a screenshot of peter schiff Udi says, Golden Boomer exposes fake news. Sequoia isn't paying employees with Bitcoin. It is just buying Bitcoin and giving it to employees as payment. <laughs> so the screenshot of Peter Schiff's uh, tweet, which is not going to age very well, <clears throat> uh, basically Peter Schiff said this, Sequoia Holdings isn't paying its employees in Bitcoin. It's just a bunch of hype to falsely portray Bitcoin as money to sucker in buyers Sequoia is offering to buy Bitcoin for its employees using part of their dollar salaries instead of the employees buying Bitcoin themselves. And Udi goes on to say, also uncovered, there's no sunrise in the morning. The sun just actually just rises when the day begins. And another from Udi says, more from Golden Boomer Files. Humans don't breathe oxygen. They simply inhale the oxygen into their respiratory system. 
you know, sometimes I really worry about Peter Schiff's mental health, but that's going to do it for your smoldering pile. Now, Dad, what does Dad have to say today? Well, Doctor, you've got to help me. I'm addicted to Twitter. The doctor says I don't follow you. social media dad for you uh we're actually 10 minutes under an hour and i honestly that's all i got hell i'll see you on the other side this has been bitcoin and and i'm your host david bennett i hope you enjoyed today's episode and hope to see you again real soon have a great day